Hi there, my name is Pav, and along with Jacob, I'm one of the hosts of the Top of Off podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to us have a chat about cricket and make fun of each other in the process. As a reminder, you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Top of Off podcast. Um, I'm Pav and I'm joined with Jacob again. Hello. Um, and what we will do today is an overview of day two of the first test between England and the West Indies at Southampton. And so we'll start with a small overview of the day's events. Um, not very, not, not very happy reading for, for, for a lot of us England fans, but not you know, at all. Not at um, all. Jacob will give us an overview of that and then we can get cracking into the issues that we want to discuss and the stuff we want to complain about today. Okay, so the day began with, after a washout really yesterday, Burns and Denley at the crease for England after Sibley yesterday got out for a duck. Uh, we got off to a pretty good start, England that being. Um, Burns and Denley seemed like they might hold up for a while. Then Denley was the first to go, his wicket falling at 48 for two. Him going for 18, bowled by Shannon Gabriel, I believe. Then, in a classic sense of irony, just after we talked about the rebuilding of the England top order, we lost the next four wickets for, I think, just under 40 runs, with Burns, Crawley, Pope all going within the space of about 15 overs. Uh, Stokes and Butler managed to hold up the West Indies attack for a while, but ultimately Stokes was dismissed at 154 for six off a beautiful delivery from Jason Holder, the world's number one all-rounder getting the world's number two. That must have felt nice. So Stokes went top scoring for 43. Butler soon followed at 157 for seven. Him being out with a score of 35. Archer then went for a duck and then a nice little cameo came in from Dominic Bess who outlasted both Wood, who went for five, and Anderson, who was bowled by Gabriel for 10, to finish 31 not out and England 204 all out. This left England with just the evening session to try to make an impact with the West Indies. Uh, one wicket going down, Anderson trapping Campbell, LBW for 28, after two previous unsuccessful LBW shouts. Um, the West Indies lasted through until bad light stop play with Brathwaite and Shea Hope remaining unbeaten at close. Brathwaite on 20, Hope on three. So that is day two of the test, uh, first test of West Indies England. Yep. Um, not, not very good listening for England fans. Um, not really. West Indies well on top after, after day two, I'd, I'd say. But there was some, some slight bright news in the sense of Rory Burns. Uh, as we mentioned yesterday, he scored that one run which we needed. Yep. To, and he is now the first England opener, batting as an opener, to score a 1,000 runs. This is since Alistair Cook in 2007. Yep. Interestingly, if you compare the two, uh, Cook took 25 innings to score his first 1,000 runs and Burns has only taken 29, but did this at the age of 21 and Burns did 29. So I don't know if Burns will be quite as illustrious in his career as 
uh, Alistair Cook, but he does have the potential to go on and get a few more yeah. decent runs. Yeah. And he, he looked very organised today until, unfortunately, Shannon Gabriel, I think it was, made the ball hoop round a corner <laughs> and he got trapped LBW on his leg stump. Yeah. Um, and there's an interesting statistic um, about Rory Burns' 1,000 test runs as an opener. And that statistic is that since Alistair Cook's debut, there have been 41 test openers from across the world who have reached 1,000 runs or more. And that includes Rory Burns. England can claim just two of those openers before Burns, and that is Strauss and Cook. So only, uh, only Alistair Cook and Andrew Strauss have scored 1,000 test runs as an opener across the 41 uh, world test batsmen who have scored 1,000 runs as an opener um, uh, since Cook's debut. And so Burns is, Burns is the third out of those 41 um, since Cook's debut. Uh, so there's definite promise there. Well, just... we, we were talking about yesterday the, the potential the England order ha- top order has. It's yeah. been revealed today on, on what is a pretty tricky pitch to be, and, and more tricky actually than we thought it was yesterday, but we found them to be quite fragile, yeah. um, quite inexperienced. I, I will then say, I will amend our statements from yesterday that there's not as much promise as we thought in the top order, but in the opening partnership, you know, Sibley is still very solid and in Burns. Burns yeah. particularly, there, there is some hope. Um, but I think it's only appropriate that before we very rightly focus on the West Indies for this was their day, we talk a little bit about England um, doing what they do. Isn't it nice to have the normal, normal, That's... new normal back? <laughs> I um, mean, I... Small I, batting collapse. I texted you um, uh, this morning um, when, when the collapse started and I said, well, at least we've got some normality back in this time. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, and the thing is, this is, the question has to be asked here with England's collapse. Is it England reverting back to type after we've had a relatively promising period, you know, from last summer onwards? Because arguably from the ashes, we had a top order that, that wasn't, obviously, it, it, it wasn't world beating, but it was definitely doing a lot better than what we'd seen before. And that continued over the winter as well. So is this England reverting back to type? Um, or is it just nerves and, you know, the surface was a very tricky one that arguably should have been bowled on first? Um, yeah, that, 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 that's, a key, that's, that's a key question to ask. I, I really hate to say it as an England fan, but it's just England reverting to type. I, I would believe that, you know, it's a long break. There's a lot of nerves. There's a lot of rustiness. It's a, it's a relatively tricky pitch. But the fact that this happens to England to a statistically worrying extent that we have for so long had such a fragile top order. I mean, we we made a joke about it a few weeks ago before we even started the podcast about there was a scorecard on BBC from a West Indies match, you know, six years ago. And it was exactly the same. No one scored over 40 except Stokes and Root. And this happens all the time. We are constantly relying on Stokes, particularly, especially now Root has got out of form, to perform some kind of miracle. And what happens today is, you know, we have one solid, very solid guy in the top order, another guy who's pretty solid. The rest get found out. Joe Denny, particularly, I think he's got to go now. He's got found out. He's repeatedly been dismissed in the same way. And so we rely on Stokes so yeah. much. And when what happens today, Stokes plays well, 
But for God's sake, he just caught a beauty today. It, ha- it happens. Jason Holder bowled an absolute snorter. Yeah. And if Stokes gets out to that, which anyone would, we've been found out. And it was nice to see Bess doing something, holding up the tail a bit. He mm-hmm. played really well. He batted he did. well. He did. Um, but it's not his job. And the fact that the top order batsmen are really putting the pressure on, on the middle order, which began to show a bit on Ollie Pope today with a bit of yeah. a loose shot, it's not helpful. It's I not think, helpful. I, I think this is definitely something we've seen before. Um, and for so long, and, and it's become something that's, that is recurring now, that we rely on the middle order. So Stokes, um, Stokes and Butler today and Pope as well. You know, the pressure is all on them. But what it means is that they can't play the shots that they want to play. You know, Butler mm. is not a player who should be facing the new ball, trying to rescue an innings. Butler yeah. is a sort of player who is best coming in to make a quick 50 um, when the ball is old, when the ball isn't doing as much, um, you know, to just smack the ball around and play the shots that we know he can play. Um, and he, you know, arguably he hasn't made many big scores in test cricket recently, you know there is a lot of question about his place in the team. But a lot of that isn't helped by his teammates. They should be doing more um, than, than, you know, they should be doing more than they are. And, and that really is, is, is having a negative effect on his ability to, you know, to, to make big scores. And, and Butler has a lot of potential. And it's the same with Stokes, you know. We saw Headingley last summer. Stokes is a world-class player, you know, arguably. He's probably the only world-class player we have in our batting lineup at the moment. Um, but he can't continually be rescuing these innings, you know. And especially because he, at, at the moment, he has the added burden of the captaincy. And if, you know, after, after, um, after Root's time, if he gets that burden full-time, then it's not going to be his job to hold up these innings. And this is something that we really have to sort out. And, and, we, and it's, it's not a new issue. You know, I remember two years ago, and I, I remember the test against Pakistan in 2018, you know, the, the Lord's test. It was the first time we'd lost the Lord's test um, in, 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 10, in, in 10 years or something like that. Um, we, you know, the top order foul, it, it, was, it was 100 for five, exactly like it was today. And we had people say, you know, and, 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 and we were saying, oh, well, you know, we'll have to rely on Sam Curran to build up the innings. And, and he did. He, he, he played a fine innings then, and it really did help us. And obviously, we still lost the game, but we didn't lose it by as much as it was looking like we would. But it shouldn't be, you know, like Sam, it shouldn't be people like Sam Curran or, or Ollie Pope or Adil Rashid when he was in the team. It shouldn't be their responsibility to do what our openers should have done and do what our top order yeah. should have done. And I think there's such a telling statistic, which is until we went to South Africa last year, um, and I think we only did it once or twice in South Africa yeah. on, on pretty friendly batting pitches. We hadn't, as a team, got over 400 in innings in three years. Yeah. It's 2017. It, it's really, and, and this today's surface really isn't a, a 400 plus pitch, yeah. but I think a world-class team can get 300 on it and that's a great score on it. And we got 200 and it, it yeah, just wasn't, wasn't what we needed and it put us behind the eight ball immediately mm. and now the West Indies what I what I feared would happen is that we will put them into bowl first they'll do this and then they'll come onto this surface which we've made look extremely tricky and 
make it look pretty easy. Yeah. And our bowlers, as they did at the start today, will help them make it look a bit easy by bowling far too short, bowling back of a length. Yeah. When Holder showed us today, you just have to get the ball up there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So should should we have bowled first? I think there's probably quite a clear answer to that. And yeah. also, should Broad have been bold? Should he have that's, been selected that's, for this? For this that's match? the big question, I think, is Stuart Broad, you know, even yesterday, b- before we knew what this pitch was going to do, there was a question, you know, when, when, when the team news was announced and Broad wasn't playing, there was this question. And, and we spoke about it yesterday, you know, what happens to Broad and Jimmy um, now that they've been broken up? But the fact is, Stuart Broad, you know, is very much in the mould of Jason Holder. And he would have been spectacular on these conditions, I think. Obviously, we don't know. It's, it's all speculation. But at the same time, you know, if Jason Holder was able to do so well and he presents the seam just like Stuart Broad does, then why did we not play him? And these conditions, you know, obviously, Stuart Broad treat, tweeted himself about midday today, you know, when, when, when the question started about should Broad have come in, you know, because he, he was watching the game. Um, and he treated that it was absolutely the right decision to 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 bat first um, yesterday. And 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 the quote that he used is, "You can't tell what lunchtime on day two is going to be like when 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 you when you've just won the toss on day one." However, he definitely, you know, Stokes definitely, and 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 the England team as a whole definitely should have known, you know, and and had the tactical acumen to to think that well, actually, maybe it's worth us. Um, having a bowl first, you know, we know what these conditions are like. We know when it's, when, when, when it's cloudy and overcast, we, we know what Jimmy can do as well. Um, and, and, and so maybe that decision should have been there. And obviously to think that things would have been different is speculation because, because the West Indies have batted quite well as well. But at the same time, it's definitely something we need to ask. And there's definitely a question that needs to come up, especially after this game. I think it was quite telling that Jason Holder, maybe it's a bit of mind games, maybe it's the benefit of hindsight, but in the post-match interview, he said he would never have batted first. It doesn't matter what the surface was like. He saw the overheads. He wanted to bowl. And I think all the bowlers in the, the England camp were quite keen to bowl as well. Yeah. In terms of what we should have done at the toss, I, I think you've just got to back the overheads in England. If it's cloudy one evening, it's it's... You know, you've got the forecast, it's going to yeah. be cloudy the next day. It's probably not going to brighten up within the space of a day. Bowl first, trust the overheads in England because they do make a difference. But in does, terms this, of... does this also show maybe a lack of ambition? Because just thinking about it, this England team, if they're deciding not to bowl first, then they, the decision should have been made that, oh, tomorrow um, the, you know, the clouds may have lifted. Um, well, we, we don't anticipate to bat more than a day anyway. So is it, is it already this sort of attitude that, well, we, we're not going to bat for very long, so let's just get it over and done with? I think it's the opposite. I think Stokes saw batting first as the aggressive option. Yeah. He wanted to come on and, and really kind of bat. He wanted, obviously, bat time, bat properly, but bat effectively, bat yeah. at a good pace. But the problem with that is... We don't have the experience in our top order to do that yet. They were never going to dominate the bowlers on surfaces like that, on with overheads like that. That was just not on the cards. Yeah. So I think bowling first was probably the best option. In terms of the broad thing, I, I think I'll slightly disagree with 
with most of the naysayers out there, I don't think Broad should have been second. Um, okay. Because Broad may have done really well in these conditions. In fact, he probably would have. Um, that would have helped us in the here and now. But yeah. I think getting people like Archer and Wood bowling in these conditions, yeah. you know, they're always going to have a good day out on Australian conditions where it's hard and yeah. you know, bouncy and you've got to bowl a bit short and let make the batsman hop around. But they need to get used to bowling in England and force themselves to bowl fuller, try and get the movement going because they're both quite straight line fast bowlers. Joffre gets a good bit of swing, Wood gets a bit, yeah. but they don't loop it around corners and they've got to develop that as a skill to add to their, their pace. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, and so I think, I think that, Broad... though, uh, you know, if, if you look at Jimmy, you know, he started his career, you know, he, well, he, he wasn't the fastest bowler when he started his career, but he's definitely, he was definitely faster than he is now. And he developed over time that acumen and that, you know, that that sort of experience, you know, with experience, it came to him that, well, this is how I should swing the ball, you know, and he was able to start swinging. Um, and maybe, maybe this is something that just comes with experience, you know, maybe that sort of, um, maybe that, that knowledge of this is what I should do, this is how I should bowl on this surface comes with experience and something that Joffre and Mark Wood will, will build up over time. And so that's why I think Broad, it's right because he, you know, he's not going to be there forever. And I think probably for the next test, even bolder call, bring in Broad, leave out Anderson. Yeah. Just always have Wood and Archer getting the experience or Sam Curran or Wokes, whoever, because they're the guys who are going to lead us over the next five years, not Jimmy and Broad. And it's all very well winning a wisdom trophy now. But if you're relying on a... 38 year old jimmy and a 36 seven year old broad in australia in two years time and then they're not going to be there in four years time yeah. it's it's very difficult so i think blooding these young guys is is the best way to go and that's and something I mean, we, to be we, said we, is we, that this england team is very young mm. and so that's something that works in their favor however saying that this west indies team is also very young pretty young and, yeah and i mean They've this West Indies team has been together longer, um, but also there is this sort of tactical inexperience that we saw from England today. I think. Mm. Well, on the subject of the West Indies team, let's yeah. pivot to them because this That's was great. really their day. It was. It really and, was. And this we was, got to focus on them. I mean, today was the Jason Holder show, really. Oh yeah, and and and, and his support act in that show was a uh, Shannon Gabriel, mm-hmm. you know, and. It was it was really good for the West Indies today. You know they they are totally in control of this game, um, and there was a period, as, as you said in your overview, um, around lunch when Stokes and Butler were digging in, and we thought, well, this is this has the potential to be the partnership that rescues England, um, and that was also compounded by the fact that um, that, that that the West Indies picked up uh, dro- dro- dropped all these catches. You know th- th- there was there was a there was four or five catches that they didn't that, that they dropped and the feeling was and I remember texting you about this as well the feeling was that well as long as the West Indies continue to field like this Stokes and Butler can go go on mm. obviously then the wicket of Stokes fell and then Butler fell not long after um but overall you know th- th- those were two you know if, that, that, I would say that if I was nitpicking you know 
overall, it's been a really good day for the West Indies. And great display been, of bowling. It's been spectacular. You know, Jason Holder is not just been a great display of bowling. It's been a great display of captaincy by Jason Holder. Mm. Using those reviews the way he did. Spectacular. Yeah, he, he reviewed excellently. I think, yeah. you know, at times there was a bit of luck on his side. Um, yeah. But some of the, some of the, the wickets, um, a lot of them were soft. You know, Sibley's yesterday was a bit soft. Uh, Denley's was, well, he, he's just weak when the ball comes back into him. And yeah. he's, got a, he's got a five-yard gap between his bat and his pad. You know, his bat's always in a different postcode when he <laughs> tries to defend it and it nips back in. I think the, the two which I, I will really excuse, and that's Burns and Stokes. Two yeah. gorgeous balls. Uh, Burns was set up very nicely, bringing him wider, bringing him across himself. Yeah. And then Shannon Gabriel, I don't know how the hell he did it, but a right-hander coming around the wicket has managed to swing it in so it lands on a left-hander's leg stump. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It really pivoted round the corner and just struck him on the foot. It, it very really difficult good. delivery to deal with. Yeah. The other one was Ben Stokes, um, Holder's delivery to him. Absolute clinic today put on by Jason Holder. Yeah. The, the Ben Stokes wicket was the best of the lot. He... He knew Ben Stokes liked to push forward. Ben Stokes was doing a very good job, actually, yeah. of pushing forward, running at the, the uh, seam bowlers. He was sort of advancing down the pitch at some point. Yeah. And Stokes did that, the ball before his wicket, and Holder pitched it a bit shorter and almost drew the outside edge. Yeah. And then he knew just that next ball, Stokes is going to be a bit more cautious. He's going to stay back. And he pitched it full. It swung. It was almost a Yorker. And Stokes... And it angled into him. He tried to work it through the leg side and then it just nipped off the seam, caught the outside edge. It was an absolute perler of the delivery and yeah. there's nothing we can do about it. So I think an absolute clinic put on, particularly by uh, Gabriel and Holder. They were the only wicket takers. Holder taking six, Gabriel taking four. Uh, Kemar Roach bowled very well as well, quite controlled. Uh, Holder actually had the lowest economy rate. That was the most fantastic thing. He was under It was, it was two. great, yeah. I think he was on an economy rate of something like 1.82, whereas so Gabriel finished, was over four. He, he finished um, with figures of six for 42. You know, and yeah. those are his career best figures as well. Spectacular. Whereas ball. Gabriel quite nicely finished with four for 62. Yeah, it was brilliant. So, there, was a, um, there was a great symmetry there. But the... The possible weak link in the, the West Indies bowling attack here was Alzari Joseph. Now, he's a young, younger guy. Hasn't had yeah. as much test experience, obviously, as the rest of them. But he was, to be honest, he was a little bit like how the England bowlers were bowling, particularly Archer and Wood. Yeah. He was a bit too short. There was a bit too much So maybe, maybe to it is something just to do with inexperience. Because at hmm. the start of the day, um, we have to remember that Holder really came into his own and demonstrated why he's the number one all-rounder in the world um but at the start of the day it was actually gabriel who got everything going you know and he mm, took the wicket at the start of the day yeah three. um and what happened was gabriel just like yesterday was able to be a bit more experimental and be able to be a bit less economical with his bowling because holder and roach were able to hold up the other end and 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 bring that economy to the bowling attack I think what what Joseph, Joseph just has to work on, yeah, uh, and w yeah. which is what which is what Holder did in, because he actually had a very similar problem to to Joseph. He yesterday and beginning of today got a bit carried away with the fact that there's a lot of uneven bounce in the surface. He's a tall guy. He was hitting yeah. the pitch hard and a bit short, 
And Jose carried on doing that, but Holder really forced himself to pitch it fuller and pitch it fuller, get it moving about. Yeah. And that's where the wickets came from. All of his wickets, you know, being six foot five or however tall he is, you've got to bowl it full to hit the stumps. And all of his wickets, I think, almost all of them were LBW or bold. And he really pitched it up and, and got it moving, which Joseph just never quite managed to do. It was always a bit back of the length or short. Yeah. And, and maybe that was the role he was given, but he, he was a bit expensive. I think he was the second most expensive after Gabriel and he didn't take a wicket. So that's just... I think one so. very small downer on a very good day of bowling from West Indies. Yeah, as 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 we said before, this is just nitpicking, really. Mm. You know, overall, it, they couldn't have asked for a better day, really. And had you said to Jason Holder yesterday morning that by the end of tomorrow you will be in the in in the position you are, you know, absolutely dominant with the days that you've had, and you yourself will have six wickets to your name, I think he would have, you know, you would have said you're dreaming at that point. I, um, I think, and career best figures as well for him. Yeah. Because his previous yeah. best was six for uh, 60 something, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It'll be interesting yeah. to see when spin comes into the game later, because what we've got to remember is last time we, we faced the West Indies in the West Indies, uh, Roston Chase had an absolute day out. He took eight, yeah. I think, in one test match. Um, Bess has a test five for to his name. Yeah. And both the Aegeus Bowl and Old Trafford uh, spin. So spin I think... Friendly. They're very spin-friendly. I think that when spin last couple of days comes into the game, it could give the game... Not, I don't know if it will change the game, but it'll give it certainly a very different dynamic, which oh, yeah, will be sure. a nice, interesting battle to see. Yeah. The question I think we've got to ask is, where does the credit lie for this increasingly successful revival of the Windy's pace attack? Um, you know, Because over the last decade or so, there's been a very barren period. I mean, you could argue it started in the mid-2000s, you know, there was a really barren period where pace bowlers for the Windies weren't up to the standards that they used to be. You know, mm. This is a team that the 70s, 80s and 90s produced probably the best pace bowlers in the world. Well, they undoubtedly, identify. pretty much. Yeah. And until maybe the 90s. Yeah, exactly. Um, in it, until Kirtley Ambrose retired, really, they had the best pace bowlers in the world. Um, where does the credit lie for this increasingly successful revival? I think there's a there's a few aspects to this. So first of all, I, I I don't necessarily accept the claim that there's been a barren period of fast bowling in the West Indies for the last ten years. Just test fast bowling. They've been yeah. a very one day T20 orientated side, particularly because you know Chris Gale's the man there, um, <laughs> and that helps. But they they've been very successful. You know they won T20 World Cups and and so on. I think they focused on that their pace bowling in test matches did decline slightly. The, the credit here, I think, probably lies with the domestic cricket league in the West Indies. Yeah. Um, they've made a big effort to revive pace bowling, not only with the surfaces they've prepared, which have been very pace-friendly recently, yeah. um, but have also really focused in, and now the West Indies domestic league gives bonus points for yeah. number of wickets taken yeah. by fast bowlers, which instantly encourages people to bowl fast and to do it well and to target yeah. the stumps. Because I think um, I think the way it works is if you bowl them out, you get more points or something like that. So yeah. it, it it does help them target to plug the podcast, the top of off, which is what England weren't <laughs> doing today. They really needed to hit yeah. that 
line. And yeah, that's been a big help, I think. Also, people like Jason Holder, who have always been, for the last five, ten years, have always been pretty premier fast bowlers, but now coming into their own. Um, Kemar Roach as well, he's improved his accuracy, but by slowing down a bit, which maybe is something that Archer could look at. Um, I think I, I, I think your point about preparing pitches is really interesting because this is the same thing that has been done in India. Mm. India has not traditionally been known as a haven for pace bowlers. You know, the, the pitches prepared there are always well were always very spin friendly. Suddenly, you had a period where India started preparing and, and Indian groundsmen started preparing pitches that helped pace. And now you have, arguably, the Indian Test side has, you know, probably, well, definitely one, one, definitely one of the best um, pace attacks in the game. Well, if not the statistic- best pace statistically, they statistically yeah. they do um, in terms of their their strike rates. So yeah. the Indians are the top, and the West Indies are now second. Yeah. Um, so it's and it shows. Yeah, this sort it's of, really helped. Um, this sort of similarity in approaches that are taken by both boards. And this is what you need to do to revive test fast bowling. And in England, I suppose we're entering a period where we have some brilliant fast bowlers coming through, as we spoke about yesterday, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done as, as we're showing today. Well, I want to talk about who the West Indies have coming through in terms of their, yeah. their team and, and particularly their bowlers. There's a, a very, very talented young man called Kimar Holder, no uh, relation to Jason. <laughs> Um, he is seriously yeah. impressive. He's a bit, yeah. bit of a, a Joffre Archer type. I think he's a bit taller than Archer, yeah. but he is quite similar in that quite metronomic action, very nice, very smooth, and he takes wickets. He is seriously yeah. good, and I would not be surprised if we see him pretty soon in this series, probably in the next test, because yeah. he is possibly replacing Alzari Joseph. Because he's very good, and if you're keeping someone like O'Shane Thomas or yeah. Sheldon Cottrell out the the team, who are pretty proven West Indian fast bowlers, he's really doing well. He is, yeah, it's very true. Um, and I think another thing to say is that we've spoken about how the West Indies had this, and have always had this sustained short form success in T20 um, and One Day cricket. They've had success, especially over the last 10 years. However, we, we need to talk about why that's happened. And I think the reason why goes a little bit deeper than just cricket. It, it, a lot of it is about the structure and the way that the global game is set up. You know, mm. it hasn't been kind to the West Indies since the 90s, especially in terms of finances. And it means that West Indian players are looking for these short form opportunities because fundamentally, the money is just better. And, yeah. you know, you when you have a career that could be, you know, very short, then you need to, especially, especially for a fast bowler, then you need to look at where you can maximise your revenues and where you can maximise what you get out of the game financially. Um, That's certainly true. And and what, what it's meant is this, and I suppose it goes into sort of the problems that we have in the global game anyway, and, you know, that we still have today, this inequity of distribution of the financial rewards of the game you know, India, England and Australia dominating finances with, uh, within test cricket and within the global game, meaning that these other countries, you know, um, the West Indies, 
Bangladesh, Pakistan, they have to look at other ways to to keep their to keep their game alive. And fundamentally, those opportunities come from short form cricket. And what it's meant is that you have the decline of what was once a great, great um, institution in Test cricket, the you know the West Indian team. Um, and really, there has been a push, as we've spoken about, to get Test cricket back up and running in in the West Indies. And there are a lot of bowlers coming through now, and there are a lot of young players coming through, not just bowlers, but also batsmen, who are valuing Test cricket. And fundamentally, I suppose it's also because the opportunities are now there again for them. Um, but we definitely need to mention how the global game has has hasn't been kind to the West Indies over the last 20 years. Well, we need to call it what it is, really, which is the uh, the nefarious in influence of the big three. Yeah. Um, which is which is being improved, in fairness, since um, particularly since N. Srinivasan left the BCCI yeah. in yeah. acrimonious circumstances. Um, but there there really have been some quite shady backroom deals done about the way in which revenues are distributed in the West Indies. I think particularly the West Indies as a major test playing nation who have now been relegated to this kind of smaller country status, they've been shafted by it really badly. They've been really hit badly. Yeah. And and that is that is definitely impacting the their test cricket and their preference for short format because yeah. as you say, especially when you've got someone like Chris Gale who is kind of a national figurehead there, yeah. He's the best T twenty player of all time. And yeah. he's Pretty much, I think in in runs he is, and he's made millions and millions. And if if you go into Test cricket, you're just not going to get that. And I think if you're if you're, while obviously you have a great love for the game, if you've got to think, well, how do I best provide for my family? Yeah, playing in the Caribbean Premier League, trying to get into the IPL, these are the ways to do it. And so working on your forward defensive to try and get into the Test team, um. It's really not very isn't. high on that list of skills. And it's very, very admirable that the current West Indies team have come over here and they've taken a 50% pay cut yeah. because of coronavirus. And they're still here, um, especially when touring basically only financially benefits the host nation. Um, and I think, I think definitely some credit has to go there to the ECB in that they have provided... They've they've provided a lot more than they usually would to a touring team. You know, they they've paid for all of the West Indies flights. They've paid for the accommodation. They've they've they funded the whole tour basically. Um, and the cynic in me would say that this is because the ECB fundamentally don't want to lose the broadcast revenues that not airing and not having Test cricket over a whole summer would do. Um, however. I suppose if we look at it more optimistically, it shows this sort of um, this sort of willingness to engage uh, what what would be regarded by them as smaller nations. And so I suppose we can credit the ECB, but also take that with a pinch of salt as well. There, there is a bit of an undercurrent as well from the West Indies board and from the Pakistani board yeah. who are coming over in August. I think there's there's very much a sense between them and the ECB of oh, we we've done you a bit of a favour. Yeah. And so the West Indies may find England quite nicely in their corner for future revenue yeah. uh, negotiations. And Pakistan, I think, it, again, the cynic in me would say the angle of that is 
okay, we've done you a favour, but now come to Pakistan, show people yeah. it's safe, uh, play test cricket in Pakistan, yeah. which England haven't done, of course, they since no. the 2009 terror incident. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think Bangladesh went over there, Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka was very interesting because they were the team that were attacked in 2009. Yeah, they it. went over there and the MCC went. Yeah. But England, Australia, India are still yet to. And I think Pakistan are very, very keen on doing that. So that, that may have been a bit of a motivation from both the West Indies and Pakistan. Yeah. We'll cover Pakistan more when they're over here on the pod. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, but it, but it's definitely an interesting political situation in cricket at the moment. It is. And definitely, I suppose, there are reasons for optimism in that after this crisis anyway, there's going to have to be a rethinking of the global game. Um, and especially in terms of finances, because regardless of the broadcast revenues that are going to be maintained by keeping this test series alive and keeping the Pakistan series alive, the global game and it's, you know, within England and across the world, um, especially across the test playing nations, there's going to be such a huge financial loss and there is going to be a financial impact. And so Hopefully, and if I was being optimistic again, I would say that this will benefit and I, I, I would hope to see this benefit the smaller nations like the West Indies, like Sri Lanka, like Pakistan, like Bangladesh. Um, however, obviously, we won't know for sure until we see what happens. I, I, I suppose it can go really two ways. Either we can have this nice kind of utopian rebuild of okay <laughs> let's get it back in order and we'll share it out a bit more yeah. equally or it goes completely the other way and it means that india or australia and england hoard the wealth even more because there's yeah. less of it about and and that would be very disappointing to see because especially with such a major crisis like this it could put a lot of smaller nations out of business um i'm thinking particularly people like zimbabwe yeah who still i think are have test status but you know, it's difficult for them and aspiring test nations uh, like Afghanistan, Ireland. Yeah. It's, it's really, it would hit them hard and I wouldn't like to see that. Um, so, I mean, it's, it, it's, I mean, to make one last point, it's this fundamental thing of why over the last, especially over the last 10 or 15 years, why has there been such a push by the big three boards to, to confine to keep the test game confined you know mm. when every other sport in the world you know, looking at the example of rugby union um looking at the example of the american sports as well every other sport in the world has had this major focus on expanding as much as possible and reaching new territories why is test cricket and cricket as a whole the only one fundamentally that that has made it almost made a conscious decision and made a decision in the policies that they pursue to to restrict the game as much as possible mm. it just makes no sense and i think this is something we'll have to look at in a in, in a separate podcast for sure definitely the, um, the governance of yeah. cricket is, is such a deep issue and i, I yeah. think a lot more independence is needed in it a lot more independent oversight yeah. of governance but I, that's a fairly universal opinion amongst cricket fans yeah for that. um speaking of universal opinions the umpiring today oh oh flashes level oh, wasn't it yeah yeah. God, what happened? I mean, obviously they aren't. Uh, I, I mean, although they are, as far as I remember, Richard Kettleborough is one, and I can't remember who the other one is. But they are both relatively experienced umpires. But yeah. the the umpiring was poor. I I think Holder 
and the West Indies overturned five or six decisions. They did. With, on review. And and it would be very interesting. It'd be very interesting to speculate and, and think about what could have happened had there only been two reviews instead of three. You know, because three reviews has been brought in for this series. Um, as uh, I don't know if this is a permanent change or whether it's a. Um, I think it's just for the coronavirus. Yeah, um, and 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 three reviews. Has that arguably pushed Holder and uh, did that arguably push the West Indies team to to review a lot more and 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 you know be successful with these decisions or would they have done that anyway? I think it was definitely a factor. So you could see a few Holder was like. I'm not sure, but we've got three, we'll take a punt. I think not necessarily just the number, but the fact that they feel like they've got more is yeah. what was helpful. On some of them, though, I think they they did six. Three out of the six they would have reviewed anyway, straight away. Yeah. Um, one out of the six, it was holders five for, it was just before lunch. Even if there was two, you know, and, and they they'd retained all their reviews, even if there were two, he'd still review it, which leaves a couple of decisions, yeah. maybe two, which could have been quite important. Um, but yeah. then again, they gave Stokes two chances, so we could all speculate about this, but yeah. if Stokes had been caught on 14, those two reviews yeah. wouldn't have mattered. And Yeah, for yeah I, I think the the problem with the umpiring is obviously they, they can't get in the kind of top-level umpires. It, it's also a tricky pitch. There's variable bounce. It, yeah. And Gabriel and Holder had the ball moving a lot. It's interesting. I was, again, steaming. I was absolutely steaming to <laughs> see Jimmy Anderson denied a wicket which was going to obliterate off stump because it was pitched outside leg. I have this feeling um, that this is going to be a, a, a recurrent theme from you here. It's, complaining it's my about big LBW. campaign. It's my big campaign at the top of our pod. This so we're going to our, our theme that we try and change, but it we're, we're going to take this so to the ICC and get them to change LBW laws just because we say so. Mm, two I, two blokes complaining about it. That's that's what's going to change it. <laughs> who play who play second team club cricket? <laughs> <laughs> we know what's best for the game, <laughs> um, but yeah, you you with your dodgy leg spin and me getting out, <laughs> getting my leg stump cannoned out. That that's why I don't like it. It's because it. You know, it would make yeah. me a better player. I could just, I could just try and sweep everything, and they'd be pitching out. <laughs> It'd be fantastic. Um, but no, I, I was so annoyed yeah. to see that, yeah. especially when it was so, so clearly, and it, it was about. Uh, yeah. Our listeners can't see this, but it was about that much. I'm, I'm holding up about half an inch. It was, it was a outside, tiny, tiny amount outside yeah. the line of off uh, of leg stump. And it I think should, it should be out. The other thing to say is. This, I mean, this goes back to the to the umpiring issue again. The West Indies, they weren't just denied um, uh, decisions, and and decision didn't just go against them when they were bowling, when they were batting as well. You know, that mm. that that first, um, uh, who was it? it um, when 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 Campbell was um, given out, you know, and then they reviewed, and it was not out. This was a decision that went against them when they were batting that, as well. That was difficult, though. It was only going over by yeah. about a centimetre. Right, hang on. Uh, sorry for our listeners, for our viewers. I'm just going to turn the light on because it's getting a bit dark. There <laughs> we go. I'm illuminated. Uh, our listeners, <laughs> you have no idea what just happened. I'm sorry about that. Um, oh, well. <laughs> yeah, the, the umpiring today, it was, it was a mixture of 
poor uh, umpiring. Yeah. Possibly a bit of rust as well. Obviously, they haven't umpired for a while. Yeah, that's true. And then just the fact that the pitch was so variable, so tricky. But it was, if you just look at the final result, the umpiring seemed pretty shoddy. They did. They did. Um, and this is something that I think will be, I hope not, but I, I anticipate this will be recurring at least um, at least in this test match, if not mm. through the series. I hope it's not through the series, but during this test, I think it will be something that's recurring. Um, it I depends think, on the pitch as well. I think, I think Old Trafford yeah, yeah. is usually a bit springier and bouncier, but not so variable. So yeah, that's true. We'll see. We just have no idea what happens. <laughs> Let's let let's see. I mean, we can only speculate. That, that's what we do best. Um, that's basically the motto of the what... <laughs> We can only speculate. <laughs> um, we should put that on the marketing. <laughs> I was going to say, we 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 need to go back to Jason Holder. Um, mm. Today was the Jason Holder show. We need to talk about how important is he for this West Indies team. Well, I, I think. I think today we should rename this the Jason Holder show because A, it might get people to think he's on it so they might listen. And B, just in honour, because it was a stunning performance today from Jason Holder. It was, it it was really a very was. rare, really very rare performance of fast bowling. It was, it was fantastic. And he is so central to this, this West Indies team, especially, you know, he's the, he's the world's number one all-rounder and, and yeah. comparing him and Stokes today, he looks like he deserves it. Yeah. Especially being a leading wicket-taking bowler, which really gets his team going. And then considering, let's not forget, the West Indies also, while in comparison to our clown car, uh, seem fine. They do have quite a fragile top order. They do. And having him and Shane Dowrich at, I think, seven and eight. um, Yeah. That really bolsters them, and and when he came in, I think at seven in in the West Indies last year, and he smacked Adil Rashid about, and he smacked the fast bowls about, and he made a double hundred as a number seven. Um, that really that's the sort of X factor which all great all rounders bring to a team, and and he he wins yeah. matches. We always talk about Ben Stokes about this, but. Jason Holder is is quite sorely overlooked a lot of the time, but he is a match-winning player for the West he Indies. He is a world-class player, and he is one of those few players who I think would walk into any test side on the planet. You know? mm, absolutely. He, he would walk into any test side. I mean, Australia and India are, are, are top at the moment. He would walk into the Australian yeah. team. Um, he is really, really good. Seriously good. Um, yeah. And I know it sounds to our listeners like you know, we have a bit of a man crush on Jake, Jason Holder. But it's That's probably because, because we, we do. do. Yeah. We do. <laughs> <laughs> he is six foot five of pure perfection. But other than that, it's because he's a seriously good player. He is. He is really good. Um, and, and really, that Holder-Stokes battle today, you know, it's going to be interesting to see this series as a whole. The number one, the world's number one all-rounder and the world's number two all-rounder go head-to-head. And both, both of them are Both as captains. Both as captains, interestingly. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and today, I think we saw Jason Holder came out well on top and, mm. you know, almost with a 100% degree of certainty, he came out on top today. I think Holder as well, what he, what he did really well, which obviously his bowling is the headline thing, but... He captained so well. The reviews are one thing, but 
He rotated the bowlers really well. He kept the pressure on. He didn't over or under bowl himself. You know, yeah. he bowled just long enough. And he, I think he bowled over after he got his his stick. And he, his line started slipping a bit. Yeah. And he, he was getting a bit searching for that seventh wicket, searching for the magic ball. And he recognised that immediately and took himself off and put yeah. Kemar Roach on, who was extremely consistent. And that is, I, I think we can't overstate this, that is such a hard thing to do, especially as a captain, to mm. know, to be able to back yourself at certain points and be able, to be able to then say, well, actually, I think I will put um, someone else into the attack. And it was something that other great players, you know, um, Freddie Flintoff did this a couple of times in the past as well. You know, when he was captain of England, he was able to recognise when he was best used as a bowler and when he should rest himself. But sometimes he did overbowl himself. And he I, did. I think, he did. Yeah. I think the, that's where Stokes might fall foul in this test series, especially now England are behind. Yeah. Stokes, like Plintoff, is the sort of guy, he wants to do it himself. He's like, yeah. if it's not working, I'll sort it. Yeah. And I think he'll overbowl himself, possibly. Uh, especially because he's so keen not to overbowl Archer. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, yeah, d- despite what we, we said before, I, I think... Stokes has a chance to come back into this. He can, he can, you know, Stokes can turn anything around. We've seen that. He really but can. Holder at the moment is, is such quality. And I think he, he is winning that battle so far. And that must feel very good for him. Yep. And so if on the off chance that Jason Holder listens to our pokey little <laughs> podcast, um, we'd like to invite you on, you know, <laughs> come and have a chat with us. <laughs> Just in case in your biosecure environment, you don't have a lot to do. Um, <laughs> I, I texted Joe Root. He he's too busy with his child being oh, born. Well, he couldn't yeah. give us a time of day. Uh, <laughs> oh, well. Uh, <laughs> um, well, you never know. Maybe. Congratulations <laughs> to the Roots if you're listening. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, Holder definitely did a lot right today, and key is that recognition that he had that captaincy, and it's because he has his experience of captaincy now. And he's really grown into the position, you know. Arguably, captaincy of a test side, you know, will either... It, it, it's, it, it's one of two extremes. It will either elevate your game exponentially or it will, it will negatively affect it to, to the extent that it's, it's, it's really noticeable. And we've seen in the past, especially with England captains, Alistair Cook, it, it negatively affected his game. Joe Root, you can say that on, on the record that we have so far and the comparison that we have from um, when he's been captain to before he was captain, it has negatively affected his game again. Well, his average so, has gone down, noticeably. Yeah, that's it. Um, and so Jason Holder is, is one of those rare examples where the captaincy fits really well and it's really elevated his game. I think if we, if we look around the world, Tim Payne's actually another one. I, I don't know yeah, necessarily yeah. about his batting statistics, but just... His his review fiasco at Headingley aside, his just the way he leads his team has really helped yeah, him and, and got him in the test side to be because he wasn't in it and then he wasn't in it before. captain all of a sudden and then the, he was added. It was an eight year break. He got added and suddenly became captain. And it's um, made him 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 yeah. a better player. But yes, um, so, so the we, question that, is, we've run through the day quite well. Yeah, we have. Um, the question I wanted to ask you is, you know, after the Holder Stokes battle after everything the Windies did right, after England's collapse, are the West Indies the favourites to win this game now? 
I think you have to say yes right now. Um, percentage? But barring, sorry? Percentage? Oh, uh, God, that's, that's I, a tricky I, one. I, I've got to give myself room in this post-headingly world. <laughs> I, th I think I'll have to say at the moment, 75 percent yeah that will probably grow exponentially tomorrow yeah but they're they're in a great position and and failing a an english proportion batting collapse they're in a fantastic position to yeah. to win the game and they've set themselves up really well yeah so i think definitely the west indies are favorites um but it's not out of sight for england england can come back they can bring this back and obviously the thing that will be giving them heart tonight will be that there's that sort of thought that well the West Indies are the ones who will have to um, bat second uh, mm. and, and they'll have to bat last um, and on a surface hopefully if 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 their if, if their hunches are correct on a surface that will hopefully be very conducive to spin if they can get Don Bess on there with the West Indies batting second trying to wrap up this game before you know before the end of day five with, with that time pressure then added in um, mm. maybe they can. Um, you know, maybe they'll be able. To, maybe there's a way forward for England to win. However, saying that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that has to go their way. Firstly, they have to get West Indies out for, you know, under 300 in this first innings. Um, then they have to, in, in in their second innings, they have to bat to establish a serious lead. And you know, on, and that's on a pitch that 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 will be deteriorate. deteriorate mm. Yeah, yeah. Wh whatever that word is. I feel like it. I feel like it's one of those pitches which can which can only get worse. Yeah. Um. Or, or better, depending on your perspective and which way you're coming <laughs> from it. Um. Interestingly, we saw in the West Indies last year, Moeen was very effective. Yeah. Um. And I think, I I haven't looked exactly at the st statistics. Cool. We're all messing up our words now. <laughs> but um. I think this West Indies team do have a slightly lower average against right arm off spin, which yeah. is why Jack Leach wasn't in predominantly because yeah. they were yeah. quite good yeah. against left arm spin. That's it. And so I think this is possibly a little ray of hope for England. Um, but it is the tiniest ray of hope. It is, that, it is relatively yeah. small. Yeah. But I, I think there's some, it, it's not lost, but we're losing. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's really into the last chance saloon now. Um, okay, so star player and and moment of the day. Uh, star player has got to be Holder. It was his day. Yeah. Um, just just for the uh, the moment of the day, which I'm going to give him is the wicket of Stokes. Yeah. It was such a beauty of a ball. Yeah. Star player from the English side, um, probably got to be Jimmy. Because yeah. he's the only one who took a wicket, and he looked like he was getting some good rhythm up. He was moving the ball, um, yeah. and the rest was pretty uninspiring. Yeah. In one word to describe the day, collapse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say my star player obviously has to be Jason Holder again. You know, it is the Jason Holder show. Um, moment of the day. I, I was going to say exactly the same as you, you know, Ben Stokes's wicket is probably the most crucial part of today and will probably turn out to be the most crucial part of this test match if, if, if the West Indies win, um, because that is it. That was the last bastion of England's attack, uh, England's batting order. And as soon as Stokes fell, you, you know, you, you saw this sort of visible recognition from the rest of the English side that, well, this is it, you know, 
we're not going to be making a big score now. 200 is is the best we can hope for. Just over 200 is the best we can hope for. Um, Other than Don Bess, the, the swashbuckling Don Bess. Yeah. Other than Don Bess. Um, but alas, that wasn't enough as well. Mm. Um, I would say from the English side, Jimmy bowled. Well, I mean, Jimmy was the only one who took a wicket, as you said. Um, but also, had had we done this podcast at lunch on 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 day two, um, I would have said um, Joss Butler um, potentially as as star player because he was playing some sumptuous shots, really nice shots. Um, and then obviously he got out as well. Um, but there was there was flashes of his potential there. And had there not been an opening order collapse something that he could have shown even more of. Um, but J- Jimmy has to be England star player for, t- for today. Uh, and, and, and even that, you know, there's no question that Jimmy is star player, but the gulf between his performance today and Jason Holder's performance is is huge. It's it's rare we say someone bowled, out-bowled Jimmy Anderson. And, yeah. and yeah. Jimmy didn't have that long, but yeah. Jason Holder really put on a show. He did. Uh, your one word to describe the day? spectacular in the sense of Jason Holder you know he was spectacular today you you spoken about how poor England were uh, with, with, with your word of the day I'm going to go the other side and say Jason Holder was just simply spectacular today um, sublime sublime is another word for that yeah fair enough um, yeah um okay so let's see um just before we finish for our listeners um as many of you as there yeah. are Maybe, We've looked maybe, at the demographics. There's seven. You're all the same, <laughs> like 18 to 22. <laughs> I'm convinced you're, and I'm convinced two of them are us. Yeah, two, two of them are definitely us. <laughs> um, but you know, there's five of you. On the off chance that someone like Jason Holder is listening today, um, but also to all of our other listeners who we value very much, we value just as much as Jason Holder, of course. Um, we. We wanted to ask you, do you think it was a mistake by England to leave out Stuart Broad? And this is something we want you to get in touch with us. Um, so you can get in touch with us on, on Twitter um, by using the hashtag, hashtag T-O-O-Pod. And then you can get in touch with us via email as well. So you can email into us if, if, if you still live in 2005. Um, uh, Which and... we all do as England fans. <laughs> and our email address is topofoffpodcast at gmail.com. So top of off podcast at gmail.com and then for for our twitter hashtag it's hashtag t-o-o pod so get in touch with us i think that's capital t capital o capital o pod yeah yeah um but yeah definitely get in get in touch with us and let us know do you think it was a mistake to leave out Stuart broad and you know if 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 we do get any responses then we'll read them out um in tomorrow's episode and and you know at the start of tomorrow's episode, um, uh, we'll, we'll give people a shout out and we'll read them out. We we are also contactable on our Facebook page, on uh, YouTube comment section. If you if yeah. you watch this, if you watch our, our beardy faces <laughs> doing this thing, um, yeah. So just anything, any social media comment, like, share, subscribe, and we'll we'll read out your your comments and and your views on this question on the day three, three, day three edition <laughs> of the Top of Off pod, West Indies, England, first test day three. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, so that's all from us today. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you thank for giving you. us your thank time. You very much. And from me and Jacob, um, this was the Jason Holder Show. Um, <laughs> no, it, wasn't. it was a it, it was a top, top of our of podcast. <laughs> uh, see you.